What's better than one John? Here's Johnny. Hmm. Nobody really knows. That's why we put two of them together. This is Kenzano and Wilner, a.k.a. John and John. I'm John Kenzano. I am here with the great John Wilner. We appreciate everybody who listens to this podcast. We've got a fun episode today. We're going to talk about the stuff that's being said by... CEO group members, athletic directors, and others about the Pac-12 Conference. And we're going to start today with Ray Anderson, the Arizona State Athletic Director. He sat down with Speak of the Devils, Arizona State Football Podcast, and he talked about Arizona State's commitment to the Pac-12 Conference. He also talked about the confidence that he has in the 10 remaining members of this conference to stick together. Here's Ray Anderson, Arizona State Athletic Director. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very confident on the long-term viability. The 10 schools uh, are solid. UCLA and USC will be moving on. Uh, but I do believe uh, the 10 schools remaining uh, are very solid, and there's a commitment to do that. Uh, it will be, uh, I think, uh, uh, summertime uh, when we have uh, a deal uh, to announce. Uh, I don't know if that's July or August, but uh, the latest uh, thinking is that by summer, uh, we should have uh, uh, an MMR deal, a multimedia rights deal with the Pac-12 to announce. After that, you then have to make sure that you have your grant of rights, which essentially is the 10 remaining schools signing on to the deal, essentially granting their media rights to the conference so no one is inclined to leave before the deal expires. And then once you get have that, uh, then very frankly, I think the notion of uh, potentially looking at expansion uh, makes sense. Uh, you've heard, everybody in this room has heard that San Diego State and SMU are two of the institutions most commonly mentioned when you're talking about potentially expanding uh, the Pac-12. Uh, and there are a couple other schools that sometime you hear mentioned, you know, uh, pick, your, pick your choice. But uh, I think the thought of expansion uh, is real. Uh, I think the timing will uh, be after you have the multimedia rights deal done, you have your grant of rights uh, solidified, uh, and then I think you might have uh, some fairly quick movement on that. That's just my opinion. What you just heard from Ray Anderson, it surprised you that he named San Diego State? Does the timeline he talks about surprise you? What do you make of that? Yeah, curious comments, I thought. One, the timeline, I mean, I guess you could you could make the case. It, this may go into August. Uh, I know the conference has been hesitant to, you know, mention any months specifically other than saying spring or early summer. I kind of view uh, June 30th as a little bit of a, a soft deadline, right? Uh, just because of the the exit fees, and we can get into that in a minute. But uh, I was surprised he mentioned San Diego State and SMU by name. I just don't think any AD in any conference should be talking about uh, rating specific schools from other conferences. I didn't think it was right for Big 12 uh, ADs to talk about you know, rating the Pac-12. And I, I just don't think any Pac-12 AD should be talking about San Diego State or SMU or whoever you know, publicly. It just, it just doesn't seem like that's, that's – uh, the right thing to do. What, what did you think? Yeah, I didn't like it and because most of what you've seen from the Pac-12 CEO group and other athletic directors in the conference is a respect for other conferences. Like the Pac-12 knows better than anybody 
that it got picked over by the Big Ten, and it wasn't happy about it, and there are bad feelings that come with that. And so I think all of the noise coming out of the Big 12 conference, some people saying, oh, they're going to take the four corner schools, or the Big Ten's not done, it's going to take Oregon and Washington, it's irked the Pac-12 members. And so I was a little surprised that a Pac-12 member went forth and said, you know, mentioned SMU and San Diego State by name. I think it's different when media members are doing it. I also think his timeline's a little wonky because you have the, the, the June 30th deadline. I'm looking at the bylaws right now of the Mountain West Conference. It says, you know, if they, if they want to, if San Diego State wants to join the Pac-12, it's got to give notice by the preceding June 30th. And, and, you know, if it does that, then, you know, the exit fee is, uh, you know, is probably $16.5 million more or less. But if it makes, if it doesn't meet that, then it's double the timely notice exit fee. So you're talking about $33 million. Um, and so I, that doesn't fit to me. And I don't, I don't know if Ray Anderson's just spitballing there. He's just using summer because, you know, his president, Michael Crowe, may said to him, hey, you know, we're, we're expecting this in summer which kind of fits what Kirk Schultz at Washington State said when he gave the interview, um, you know, to his to his board member at Washington State. And, you know, they put it on YouTube. It, I, you know, I'm kind of looking now at June and going, hey, that's a pretty pivotal few weeks in the middle of June for the Pac-12 and for San Diego State if they're joining the Pac-12. Yeah, and it fits, right? I mean, summer technically starts, what is it, June 21st, 22nd? So uh, I would think that that's, you know— who knows? But it seems like that's a, a window we should be watching. It's also the second time Ray Anderson has, you know, spoken publicly. He did so on a Phoenix radio station in February, also with some curious comments. I know that left a few folks around the conference kind of scratching their heads when he, he gave a specific timeline then and, you know, talked about uh, not being in the driver's seat and, you know, not being able to make any assurances I just think, you know, there's a reason that the Pac-12 has tried to go radio silent on this, and we could debate the merits of their messaging strategy. But there, there have certainly been some cases where, when folks have talked on the record, either you know there's been a, a miscommunication on the talking points, or things haven't uh, been been taken as they intended, just because uh, you know Anderson now that's twice and. Uh, you know, Rob Mullins had some comments earlier this week, too, that left, you know, I don't think intended by him, but but left uh, some room for interpretation by others when he said, uh, you know, that uh, there's great confidence we're going to end in the right place. If some people took that to mean, does that oh, Oregon could be in the Big Ten? I thought I thought Mullins meant end up in the right place with a, a Pac-12 deal, but you you know him well. What did you think of that? Well, I think you have to understand the ecosystem at the University of Oregon right now to kind of to to read his comments accurately. And you know, keep in mind they they had an interim president that was a provost who applied for the permanent president job. Michael Schill leaves Oregon for Northwestern, uh, you know, shortly after UCLA and USC left and. And so you have this uh, uncertainty with the president seat at Oregon. Now, that provost applied for the job, didn't get it. So they're on their second interim president now. And, you know, I've tried to drill down on, like, how will Oregon vote? How, who will be making the call? The interim president, until July 1, when John Carl Schultz comes in to the picture at Oregon, until July 1, the interim president's going to make that call. Now, Rob Mullins is in a tricky spot. 
right? He's got a president that will be taking over that he hasn't really worked with yet. He doesn't want to step on that president's toes. He's got an interim president he's working with. And then he has the other guy, you know, Uncle Phil at, you know, at Nike, who it has a vote in this too. And so I think Rob Mullins all along has kind of kept his head down a little bit. I've spoken to him on the record. I've talked to him just in passing about stuff. And, you know, I just get the impression he's a little uncomfortable kind of being out front and being being quoted like this. And so I think he hedged tremendously, saying that he's just got great confidence, we're going to end up in the right place. It's such a vanilla statement. And so I do think Oregon, like a lot of other schools, you know, they've hired consultants, everybody's doing this, trying to gauge their own media rights. They know the Big Ten is not inviting them. If they wanted them, they already would have been extended an invitation so I think, you know, I, and again, Wilner, I can tell you on Monday, the Pac-12 CEO group met and I asked one of the members of the CEO group, what about Oregon and Washington? Because we haven't heard from Anna Marie Casse, the president at Washington. We haven't really heard from Oregon's brain trust either. Are they on board with this? And the response I got was very similar to what you heard from Ray Anderson. The 10 are committed. Great confidence that the 10 are committed. You know, that's that seems to be the pre- prevailing thought, and I have no reason to believe that Rob Mullins at Oregon meant anything other than this is going to all be okay, Oregon's going to be fine, and in fact, you could argue Oregon has got a distinct advantage if they stay in the Pac-12 with you know Phil Knight's deep pockets and a clear path to the expanded playoff. Do you think, I mean, is Phil going to cast basically behind the scenes? Is it, is it Phil's decision what they do? I don't think... He would want it characterized that way, and I don't think Oregon would want it characterized that way. But no doubt they will take the temperature with Phil Knight before they do anything. I mean, he is their biggest donor. They want him happy. They've gone out of their way over the years. Uh, you know, I, I remember there was a big dust-up with a track coach that got run off, and Phil didn't, uh, apparently he didn't like the coach. And, you know, Bill Moose, the former AD, there was a football banquet one year that Phil Knight stood up and booed. When Moose was talking, like he cupped his hands around his mouth and he booed Moose and everybody knew at that moment Moose was toast. Like, you know, it's there. There's no bones about it. Like it's it's he gets a vote. He, I think, prefers to not look like he's heavy handed and he's the reason they're doing things. But they'll definitely check with him and go, hey, you know, this is what we're thinking. This is where we are. Much in the same way they did when they hired Dan Lanning, much in the same way they did when they hired Dana Altman, you know, Phil is providing a lot of the fuel for Oregon. And so I think they definitely check with him. You know, it's interesting because you could make the case that Oregon is better off in the smallest possible conference, right? Because they've got Phil, they've got Phil's pockets and all those facilities. The fewer competitors they have, the better. Uh, they'd be best off like in a in a 16 league uh, than, than they would be in a 16 team Big 12, a Big 10, if they're only getting half the Big 10 revenue, because Phil can just, he could just pay for everything, right? To a greater extent, maybe than Washington. I know Andy Jassy's a really, uh, you know, uh, important piece of Washington athletics, but gosh, you look at Oregon and you just think if they, if the goal is to get to the playoff regularly and compete for a national title and expand a playoff, the smaller the conference, the better, because Phil can supplement any lost revenue. Yeah, and in fact— that, You yeah, think that's crazy? Yeah, no, it's not crazy, because I—you know, look, when Larry Scott's Pac-12 was meandering along, and it became evident that there was a gap between the, the, the distributions in the Pac-12 and the distributions in the SEC and the Big Ten, 
there were three programs in particular that rose at that time in the Pac-12. They they were all a little bit of outliers. It was Utah and that rabid fan base that is going to show up and have you expand the stadium while everyone else in college football is is reducing their stadium size and worried about tickets. Utah's got a wait list. It was Washington, who has great gift giving, and it was Oregon, who has Phil Knight. Like, I argued at that time that the fact that the Pac-12 was lagging behind in distributions benefited Oregon more than anybody because he was the great equalizer. He could he could make write a check, and he could give Oregon as much money as the SEC and the Big Ten programs had. And, and I was told at, you know, the Pac-12 tournament in Vegas for the men's basketball tournament, I was there. I talked to one of the CEO group members, and the comment I got back, because I was asking about Oregon specifically, the comment I got back was, Oregon would probably love it if this was a six-team conference because they would dominate it. They'd get into the playoff every year, and, you know, Phil Knight would just write checks. And so, yeah, I think I don't think that's crazy. I think Oregon, you know, the boats that rose during that time, they rose for a reason. And I think you could even say Washington State benefited at the time a little bit because Mike Leach and what he was doing, you know, he was the head coach and offensive coordinator. You know, it cost a little less. They were building facilities when everybody else was bleeding. You know, Washington State kind of po- poked its head up at that time as well. And I think it was because everybody else was underfunded. Yeah, that's fat. It's fascinating. And then we got this whole kind of thunderbolt from the ACC. I thought, boy, is the Pac-12 uh, paying the ACC uh, <laughs> to take the spotlight off of the West Coast? You know, it's really interesting. Started with what was that a Sports Illustrated report? Uh, that seven members of the ACC have looked into trying to break the the grant of rights, right? I think it's Clemson, Florida State, Miami, North Carolina, North Carolina State, Virginia, Virginia Tech. The, the ACC's grant of rights, for those unfamiliar, goes through 2036. So 13 more years of the schools having their media revenue bound to the conference, which means if they go somewhere else, they're worthless uh, in that new league. And some, you know, the schools that uh, those seven schools are are looking into ways to try to get out of this grant of rights. And it doesn't appear, at least to this point, that they can do it. That thing seems pretty solid legally. But it's interesting that there it's, you know, the, the curtain has been removed from the the ACC's lack of alignment institutionally, which a lot of folks knew was has been going on for for many, many months. Uh, and now they are, you know, in some ways less aligned uh, than I think the the Pac-12, not not in every way, but certainly you've got a lot of ADs in the ACC talking about wanting uh, to change to an unequal revenue sharing model. Yeah, and I think, you know, people are unhappy. They're just unhappy because they're not funded on the level of the SEC and the Big Ten, and they feel like their brands demand it. And, and I don't think this is new. I just think the new part of it is, that media now are covering it. You know, I'm more tuned in to media rights than I ever have been. So are you, and so are a whole bunch of other people. And I kind of feel like it's a little bit of moth to the flame right now. Uh, you know, and and we're watching people kind of pivot to the ACC because the Pac-12 has gone a little quiet on things. And I think I think the prevailing sentiment, even from the gloom and doom crowd out there, is they keep hearing presidents and chancellors and involved parties say. We're committed. We're committed. And I think that noise eventually will go away. But, you know, they've got to feed the news cycle. And I think, you know, the ACC story becomes a story. I, I'm i with the people who think it's going to be very difficult for those members to get out of that deal. 
Um, I don't think ESPN's going to do them any favors. I think there's a different approach they should be taking. But how about this, Wilner? How about instead of saying, hey, we want to uh, back out of the deal we signed, we agreed to. Like, if this were a player, a professional player who's under contract, uh, the public would have no empathy for the for the uh, party that signed the deal. But how about instead of backing out of a deal, how about you approach ESPN with, uh, you know, a new idea? How about uh, the crossover game we've talked about against Pac-12 schools and maybe include some Big 12 schools? Everybody but the SEC and the Big 10 should be interested in playing some crossover games. And will ESPN, will, will they go into their pocket to pay for those games like like they did with Georgia and Oregon, like they're doing with some marquee week zero, week one non-conference games? Like, can you match... Miami and Mario Cristobal against Oregon at SoFi Stadium. Can you match Clemson against Utah at Allegiant Stadium in Vegas? Can you know? Will is there a Big Twelve team that wants to play Florida State somewhere at Jerry World at AT and T Stadium? Like I, I think there's some revenue that could be sprinkled over those unhappy members if they were a little more creative. But I guess this is their first approach. They want to try to, you know, get out of the deal. I just don't see ESPN or the other TV partners um, being willing to do any of that. No, I don't either. I mean, ESPN signed that deal because it was good for ESPN. And ESPN doesn't typically do things that aren't good business. You know, but I did see something that was interesting, which is one of the ACC athletic directors said, if you went to an unequal revenue share of postseason money, you're looking at potentially $10 million uh, from, you know, from college football playoff. You could create a model where the school that makes the playoff is, you know, $10 million richer than it would have been with an, an equal share model. And I started thinking about, you know, what that would be like in the Pac-12. And we've talked about this, but I, I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, the Pac-12 is not in an ideal situation, right? So you got to make the best of the hand you're dealt. And to me, the best uh, they could do would be an unequal share of postseason revenue. I just think that it would satisfy several key schools in a lot of ways, and it would provide an incentive for other schools to invest in both football and men's basketball. Yeah, I think that that should be the the boilerplate in, in most conferences. Like, you know, you reap what you sow. If you're going to invest, you should get a larger share of that postseason revenue. I mean, the WCC, it's not exact a great example because there's no football, but the WCC has an unequal share, and it's it's for some of those schools to invest. And you, you can see some of the – starting to see some of the benefits to that. So uh, I think that, to me, that's a, a no-brainer for the Pac-12 uh, once they – and that would probably be part of the you know grant of rights discussion for sure that the presidents are going to have to figure out. But uh, I think that there's a, a real – interesting piece there. And and that's the way it was. Folks forget when it was the PAC 10 for all those years, there was unequal revenue share. Now it was regular season revenue, right? It was based on your national TV appearances. So lots of years, USC and UCLA would end up with four or 5 million more in media revenue than, than say the bottom tier schools. Uh, and I don't think that that's good. I don't think that the PAC 12s Media rights should be split unequally because that creates, you know, problems in the boardroom and problems at the conference meetings. But there's no reason you shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, reap your rewards for making the postseason, especially given how much money there's going to be in the 12 team playoff. Yeah. And, and again, that playoff, you know, I, I shudder to think what the landscape would look like had they not expanded that playoff. I mean, I think it just settled everybody down. And everybody's kind of waiting to see. I have a question for you, Wilner. Like, you know, 
we're watching the Big Ten say that they may remove the provision that you know says they don't have to play non-conference opponents that are that are uh, you know yeah you know, <laughs> that are formidable. Uh, the Pac-12, uh, it's interesting. I'm kind of watching Oregon. Rob Mullins was the chair of the CFP committee a few years ago, and I watched Oregon kind of shift their scheduling model. You know, they're they're going to play Texas Tech and Baylor and some others, but you know, I don't see like some of the games that we've seen in the past, like against Georgia or LSU, on future schedules. And how do you think the the expanded playoff will change non-conference scheduling for Pac-12 teams? Well, I think that it's not it's not just the the expanded playoff, but it's the the realignment, right? Because we already saw this with Ohio State bailing on its uh its game against Washington. Uh, you know, they don't want to they don't want to go out. They're going to have to come play the LA schools. Uh, you know, every other year, or every couple of years, they don't want to make a second West Coast trip to play a Power 5 school. So so Ohio State canceled on Washington and I think we may see a little bit more of that, you know. So it's going to mean that neutral site games, whether that's Texas or Georgia or maybe Las Vegas, uh, could be more important. I think for Pac-12 schools in terms of scheduling, you know, you've got the you've got the BYU issue right now because they've got the Big 12 schedule, so they're not going to be looking for as many games. There's a lot of factors that are reducing the number of high-level non-conference football games for the Pac-12, and I think the conference needs, as a result, the conference needs to take a hard look at going to a 10-game. This is assuming that they were to expand and add two to get to 12, right? They need to take a hard look at playing 10 conference games. And I know that's kind of a, you know, nobody's doing it and it's a little bit radical, but the Pac-12 needs to think outside the box and 10 conference games solves, it creates better content and it solves a lot of the issues that are kind of gathering on the horizon in terms of non-conference, high-level non-conference games. But does that cannibalize this conference further? I mean, the talking point we're having right now about this season coming up is five or six really good teams. Uh, I like the way that the Pac-12 laid the schedule out. You don't really see them playing crossover head-to-head matchups against each other until about week seven for the most part. But, you know, if you add conference games rather than reduce conference games, are you cannibalizing your teams and hurting yourself for at-large berths in the playoff. Well, I mean, I don't think, you know, it, it, the Pac-12 champ is going to really have to suck to not get in, uh, not be one of the top six conference champions, right? Because that means you, the Pac-12 champ would have to be behind the AA, the American champ and the Mountain West champ. And I don't think that's going to happen. You've got a little bit more leeway with the 12, with the six at-large. You can get in potentially with two losses. So, if you're lo- but if you're losing a high an A level game non conference, which I think is what's going to happen with everything that's going on around the country with BYU and the SEC and the Big Ten, if you're losing an A level game non conference, you don't want to replace that with another C level non conference game or B level non conference game to fill your your three spots. Why not make that a conference game? And so you're playing ten conference games, and then you're playing, you know. Two non-conference, one of them is maybe one is a B and one is a C, or some years you got an A and a C. But to me, I don't know that it would result, if you do it right, it's not resulting in that many more losses and it gives you more good content that you can count on. 
for ticket sales and everything else. I, I just think they need to be thinking long and hard about that because they've got to think outside the box. The schedule, there's too many things on the in terms of the non-conference schedule. There's just too many dynamics at play, and many of them are moving against the Pac-12 in terms of you know high-level games. I don't I don't like the idea of the ten games, but I would love to hear from an analytics person who could look at that. And I and I think we need to see some sample size on the expanded playoff to figure out what's happening because. Ideally, if you're the Pac-12, you want two teams in this playoff every year, and maybe in a wild year you get, you know, you have an argument for a third. But I just don't know if you're playing ten conference games if you're if you're counting all those extra losses. If you know, if the SEC eight games in a conference schedule, do they look better on paper? I don't know. Um, future or no, the thing is, at, yeah. the SEC. I mean, I think that the SEC is going to end up going to nine conference games yeah. um, because with the sixteen teams, you kind of have to, or else like. You know, Georgia and Texas would never, ever play each other, for instance, uh, if you had only eight league games in a 16-team conference. Right. So I think the SEC is going to go to nine. Uh, and the Pac-12 has got to be thinking a little bit different, right? Yeah, well, they have a to different- think about it. Yeah, they have to think about it. And, and I was just looking at Oregon's non-conference opponents. You know, keep in mind, Oregon played Georgia. Oregon's played Michigan. Oregon's played Ohio State. Uh, but th- this next season, it's Portland State, Texas Tech, Hawaii. In 2024, it's Hawaii. Idaho, Texas Tech, Boise State. In 2025, it's Montana State, Oklahoma State, Boise State. You can see what they're doing. Rob Mullins, he's no dummy. He was on that committee, and he said, hey, it doesn't make any sense for us to be playing LSU and Georgia and Michigan and Ohio State. Let's play games we think we can win. I mean, the goal here is to go undefeated and make the playoff. Yeah, I mean, that's a classic ABC, right? Your A-level game is a power five, then you got a group of five, and then you got an FCS, and that's – to me, that's you know that would be ideal. I just think that the availability of some of those uh, A level games is is going to shrink, right? And and the scheduling is is going to be that much more important for the Pac twelve for good media content, for ticket sales, for postseason positioning, and that I think that they are reviewing a whole lot of options, but they can't really move forward and finalize anything, you know, until they get the media rights deal done, until they decide on expansion. But once they do, they got to they got to think about playing neutral site games in L.A., uh, even maybe playing a conference game in L.A. or a conference game in Vegas. They got to try to play games. I think they should be playing conference games on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend why not open there's nothing else going on that day people want football there's no nfl why not play a conference game in prime time on that first sunday you know they got to think about playing on the wednesday before thanksgiving that's another time people are done working wednesday afternoon they want football why not play at six o'clock on the wednesday before thanksgiving they got to be thinking about all these outside the box scheduling uh issues in my opinion, and and you know we'll see what happens, but I think it's going to be a few months at least until they start to pin things down. All right, so we've got a Pac-12 media deal. I think you and I consensus is. I mean, these goalposts keep moving, but I'm looking into June. Going, I won't be surprised if we get some kind of announcement there. I think you and I are both leaning that it is it Amazon as a streamer. You know, if you're looking at the media, the broad media landscape, it's interesting that Peacock has got an NFL playoff game on its own, right? That uh, I, I'm just going to kind of leave it at that. I don't know if that means anything for the Pac-12, but that was an interesting development that the Pac- that the NFL is 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 willing to do that with a, with a 
property is valuable as a playoff game. It's going streaming only. That's that's to me that was very interesting. I, I'll go uh, further. I'll go further on that. I think I think that that it does mean something for the Pac-12. At least at at a at a minimal level, at a foundational level. We've we've already seen ESPN come out and say, "Look, one day we're going to be all subscription, all streaming." It's not now, but one day. Now we've seen Amazon take the Thursday night game, and this next season there's a Black Friday game on Amazon that will be streamed. Now you see uh, this Peacock deal with a playoff game. I mean, to me, it, it's it's normalizing streaming, right? We we had this debate on on this podcast like months ago where we were talking about the balance of linear television and streaming partners. I mean, just in the last few months, we have seen a normalization of the streaming when it comes to live sports programming that did not exist even three or four months ago. And so you've got MLS on Apple TV, you've got Amazon doing new things, you've got Peacock now sticking its uh, nose into this stuff, kicking the tires a little bit with a playoff game. Uh, I mean, I just, I'm not going to be surprised if the Pac-12 has a chunk of its content, maybe not its total tier one rights, Wilner, but a big chunk of content on Amazon or Apple or some streaming service, because it feels like, you know, five to seven years from now, we're all, we're, we're all going to be there. You know, it does. And and that's the thing. It, the question for them is, how, do they want to roll the dice a little bit and get way ahead of it, right? With uh, signing a deal now, even if streaming isn't mainstream until late in the decade, or are they going to get way ahead? I, I think that there will be, certainly there's going to be a significant portion of games that are on streaming. Now, that could mean ESPN+. Plus. People forget about ESPN+. Plus. That's no different really than than uh, Apple or Amazon. Th- the key is there's got to be an anchor package of games, high-level games on ESPN. I still think there will be because you need the access, you need the audience that, that ESPN provides for games, but you also need – you got to have a contract with ESPN in order for those all those influential studio shows to be talking about your product. If there's no if there are no Pac-12 football games on ESPN, then Game Day has no reason to be talking about the Pac-12. And you need Game Day and those other studio shows to be talking about your product. Yeah, and I think so. I think the ideal case for the Pac-12 is you uh, you have some of your tier one content or maybe your tier one content on ESPN. You have a big chunk on a streaming service, make you look forward thinking like you're early to the game and you're cutting edge. And I don't know how early you look, though, with the NFL, with what some of you know the advancements we've seen just in the last 10 or 12 months with streaming. And I do think still Fox is going to come in. FS1 still needs some Thursday and Friday night games. And I think the Pac-12 will fill in there. And I think that's where it ends up. And, you know, and I think we do this again in 2029. Yeah, well, clearly they're going to try to sign a deal that ends in 29, 30, 31, right in there. There's no chance. Nobody is signing 12, 15-year deals anymore. That's just that's just not happening. No conference is going to do it. No, None of the schools are going to agree. Everything is changing too too rapidly in the in the media world. Uh, and, and in terms of the, you know, power five structure, nobody wants to get pinned down. But I think, you know, you talk about the grant of rights. I, I think that uh, if the if the deal is right with the money and the exposure and also let's not forget the selection windows, a lot of Pac-12 fans are very frustrated by the six day windows. You know, if everything's right, uh, I would imagine that the the schools will be willing to sign a, a short term deal, five, six, seven years. All right, uh, I'm John Canzano. You can read me at johnconzano.com. He's John Wilner, Bay Area News Group superstar. Find him at pac12hotline.com. 
Uh, Wilner, um, we, we're going to try to get a big guest next week. I think that's the plan. Um, I, make sure people subscribe. Make sure you subscribe if you are listening to this. And uh, Wilner, parting thought for you. Like, all right, Ray Anderson, Rob Mullins, Pac-12 CEO group board meeting, the ACC landscape. Just, you know, you're in an elevator with a Pac-12 fan. What are you talking about? They say, hey, Wilner, what's going on? I would probably say just it's just interesting that the AC what's going on in the ACC right now. Everything that was behind closed doors is now out in public. Uh, and, and that, you know, it should just provide some context for Pac-12 fans that, hey, uh, it, there's there's issues other places. And the ACC is in the same position the Pac-12 is which is they still have properties, schools that are valuable to the Big Ten and the SEC, right? Oregon and Washington still have value. Clemson and Florida State still have value. Maybe North Carolina too, right? That's the difference between the ACC and the Pac-12 and the Big 12. The Big 12 does not have the high-level properties that could still, you know, be of interest to the SEC and ACE and and Big Ten. So it's just, you know, important context to keep keep in mind. How yeah. about you? Yeah. To me, like, there was one thing we didn't talk about was, you know, I heard someone talk about, you know, the Big Ten conference um, potentially coveting Notre Dame. And, you know, and then Stanford was thrown in as a potential partner. And I I just don't see that. I don't see the Big Ten. Like, of course, the Big Ten would want Notre Dame. But if you're Notre Dame, same logic as Oregon. If you have access to the playoff as Notre Dame and you have your own TV deal that you're at least happy with, there's no way you want to go into the Big Ten and compete with Ohio State and Michigan and Penn State and USC, uh, you know, it, when you have those other things going for you. And if you're Stanford, I just think Stanford is such an interesting case. It's a different animal. I mean, the Olympic sports matter at Stanford. Swimming and diving and tennis and golf, they matter at Stanford. And and Stanford is already having trouble competing in a Power 5 conference because of the NIL and transfer portal dynamic. And so, you know, I think Stanford would be more likely, I don't think, I'm not predicting this is going to happen, but like more likely to go to the Ivy League than, than the Big Ten. I think Stan Stanford would be just, just be happy to not drag its athletes across the country, not sell out, look like they're chasing revenue and joining the Big Ten. Like, it's just, it wouldn't be in Stanford's DNA to make that move unless there was no Pac-12 and no home to go to. And so I think Stanford stays right where they are in the Pac-12 conference as well. And I think Notre Dame, you know, unless something changes with the playoff and they can't get access to the playoff all of a sudden, I think Notre Dame stays an independent. Yeah, I mean, NBC already knows how much they're going to pay uh, Notre Dame. They have been saving in reserve to lock them up. Uh, that's part of their grander strategy about getting that that Big Ten package and double headers with Notre Dame games. Notre Dame's not going anywhere. They're going to stay independent. I mean, Jack Swarbrick, their AD, was on the four-person committee that created the expanded playoff and the the paths of for access. Of course, it's a good deal for Notre Dame, and he wants to stay independent. They're, they're not going; they are not going anywhere. And so, without Notre Dame going to the Big Ten, that reduces the chance of another realignment wave. I think you know, in the near future, at the end of the decade or in mid twenty thirties, maybe. But uh, I don't, I don't see Notre Dame going anywhere anytime soon. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. We will catch you next week. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you like the podcast. 
He is John Canzano, johncanzano.com. I am John Wilner, pac12hotline.com and Bay Area News Group. Thanks very much for joining us.